they're going to show us like when it's time for us to step in. Right. Or if you see like a, a continuous struggle of some sort, you can say to your child, like, would you like my help with that? Right. I think the problem just is that we don't ask. We just like jump right in. There are quite a few terms that have been taken from psychology and made their way into the mainstream vernacular. Terms like narcissism, sensory processing disorder, and codependency often get thrown around, but are also often used incorrectly, which can cause parents to feel at best confusion and at worst, a great deal of fear and anxiety. This week, I'm going to be shedding some light on the topic of codependency. Joined by my guest, Alana Carvalho, we'll be tackling what codependency is and what it is not. And if, after learning the real meaning of this term, you come to the realization that perhaps you are in a codependent relationship, we cover some important steps that you can take to shift your dynamic and move towards more healthy relationships, especially with your children. Alana is a good friend and a licensed mental health counselor. She is the co-founder of Intuitive Healing Psychotherapy Practice in New York City and author of the wonderful book, Raising Empowered Children, The Codependent Perfectionist's Guide to Parenting. So she is the perfect person to join me in this conversation. Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Bren, a clinical psychologist and mom of two. In this podcast, I've taken all of my clinical experience, current research on brain science and child psychology, and the insights I've gained on my own parenting journey, and distilled everything down into easy-to-understand and actionable parenting insights so you can tune out the noise and tune into your own authentic parenting voice with confidence and calm. This is Securely Attached. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Today, we have Alana Carvalho here. I'm really excited because Alana is actually a really close friend of mine, a very respected colleague, and an absolute specialist when it comes to codependency. And we've I've gotten a number of questions recently about like codependency in parenting, whether it's like with respect to parent-to-parent relationships, parent to their own parent relationships and also parent to child relationships. So Alana's here to help us understand this and just become more aware. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. This is my passion topic. So I can't wait to talk more about it today. And of course, so excited to speak, uh, especially with you, Sarah. Thank you. And like, this is a this is a very specific thing to be passionate about. Can you can you walk us through like how you got here? Where I mean, you've written a book on this. You have an entire practice that is, I'm sure, I know you do lots of things, but is very much speaks to this. And how how did it come to be that this was your passion? Well, this all came from one day as I was sitting in my own therapy, and my therapist said to me, "Well, Alana, the reason you do that is because you're codependent." And I said, what? <laughs> Excuse me? Um, and at first I, I, I was offended. I was like, did, did she just call me codependent? Because I, I really don't like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, I actually had no idea what she meant by that statement. But regardless, I still felt offended by it. And then, um, you know, after uh, much therapy, I have warmed up to the fact that I now lovingly call myself the codependent perfectionist because um, 100% I have 
massive codependency issues and have now thankfully been working on them for quite some time. And so it just felt right that I would bring that into my own work with clients. And, you know, I, I just, it's like a joy to me to help people work on their own codependency issues. Mm, And I love the way you talk about it with like a lot of love. Like I think so much times we, we hear these sort of diagnostic terms and we attach shame or embarrassment or stigma around them. And the reality is like codependency, like most anything else is a survival mechanism. It's a strategy. It's adaptive at the time. And then it starts to be less adaptive when we move out of that dynamic and So can you help people understand like what is codependency the way we are speaking about it? Yeah. And, you know, I'm always asked this question, like, what is codependency? And I'm like, oh, my God, it's such a vast topic. Like it would actually be very difficult to explain the many ways that that it presents. But in a very general sense, what codependency really means is an emotional enmeshment with somebody else. So like the desire to fix, change um, somebody else's emotional experience, their behavior, um, their circumstances in life in some way. It can happen in one moment. It can happen over years with somebody. Um, and how that actually shows up can be so different in different situations. Sometimes it's people pleasing. Um, sometimes it's overly caretaking other people. Um, sometimes it's an inability to put boundaries in place. So all of that, um, encompasses codependency and so much more. And, um, I I think you might've touched on, or we were talking about before the idea that it actually happens in all different types of relationships. So it could be in your work relationships and your friendships and, you know, your, um, relationship with your significant other. But today we're, I imagine we're mostly talking about parenting. I know we're going to talk a little bit also about adult, uh, relationships around this, but particularly in the parenting realm, how I see it come up is in two main ways. And one is our desire to make our children feel um, okay or happy all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other can be in this other way um, where, which most of us are much more unconscious about where we actually um, have our children try to manage our emotional experience. So Mm -hmm. both of those can happen in parent-child relationships. Yeah. And I think, you know, even just that example kind of illustrates how codependency is a sort of a two-person experience. Like it Mm -hmm. is quite by definition, it's about two people, both of whom are having trouble understanding the, like the ways in which we are actually separate. Mm -hmm. And it could be that it's highly directed by one of those two people. It could be that it is very mutually co-directed. Right. Um, I think with kids, it tends to start out more directed by the parent, Mm -hmm. but then it can also, you know, kids are also very quick to want, I mean, they also have a developmental appropriate level of dependence on us, Mm -hmm. um, which makes this extra complicated. Yes. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Cause you're right, Sarah, like, and you know, you're, um, such a great like wealth of knowledge on like child development. And there's obviously a stage in it in which there's an appropriateness to our children, you know, wanting to please us and wanting to make everything okay. And, and us taking care of them in certain ways. Um, and 
what this speaks to is when that is taken kind of to another level, or we don't appropriately grow out of that at some point. Um, so, you know, sometimes people are like, well, isn't this just like, how do you distinguish like caring and codependency? And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, listen, codependents are highly caring people. I mean, and, and very well intentioned and all of us care about our, you know, our kids' feelings and experiences as parents. Like that's just a normal experience. The problem is when we, um, want to change something for somebody else, or we're Mm -hmm. having difficulty sitting with their experience. And I think for parents, (laughs) for most of us, I mean, I know for me, this is true. It happens on a daily basis, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and it it can happen in such minor experiences. Like I've talked often about the experience of like, just watching my kids struggle to get a snack. And I just want to like grab the snack for them and give it to them, you know, instead of letting them go get it themselves. It's like, it could be as minor as that sometimes Mm -hmm. to some of the bigger stuff. Like they're going through a really difficult experience at school school, and we want to just get them out of that experience. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, we want to like tell the teacher, like, no, you got to change this. Or we want to call the friend parent and say like, what's your kid doing to my kid? Or, you know, whatever it is, like all of the stuff that compels us to try to move these difficulties out of the way. Mm -hmm. That's when we know we're in our codependency rather than just in a general caring and concern for our child. Okay. So it's the need to, or the the desire, the urge, Mm -hmm. whether we act on it or not, to change something either environmentally or internally for our kid, right? Yeah. Like turn off the feeling or modify the environment so that the struggle goes away. Right. That is going, would you consider that to be an urge or behavior on the parent's part that is them their their own codependence or is that something that may elicit codependency in the child? You know, I think both when it happens repeatedly over time, it creates like, as you mentioned before, that like dual codependency where like the child then looks to the parent to solve the issue for them because Mm -hmm. they're so used to it happening. And the biggest issue that I see with this and why I was compelled to like write a book and all of this stuff is because those same kids can often turn into young adults who struggle to know how to navigate life in different ways. Like they Mm -hmm. struggle to know how to be in difficult feelings or navigate struggles at work or just even sometimes with their own self-identity because it can also strip us of that. There's there's so many ways that it can um, impact us in the future. And so although it's seemingly very loving in our early years with our kids, the reality is it can be very damaging in the long term. You know, because on some level we're actually, and, and you know, people don't tend to see it this way, but this is an important piece that we're kind of sending them a message like, you can't do this without me, right? Mm-hmm. Like you don't, you can't navigate this. You, you can't work through this, whatever it may be. And that's the message we send every time we step in, right? To remove an obstacle or try to um, change a feeling. The mm-hmm. reality is we actually want to help our kids be in their feelings, and then know that it's okay to have feelings and that eventually they'll, they'll move through them, right? We don't want to send the message to our kid, oh my God, you have a feeling that's not okay. But really it's because we're not okay, <laughs> right? Like, mm-hmm. So we're struggling um, with the experience of our child's negative feelings. Um, mm-hmm. And so that there's a lot of work for us to do around that to help our children 
um, navigate their feelings, send those right messages to build up their, their self-efficacy. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so important because we, I talk about this a lot with anxiety because Mm -hmm. when we, you know, I use a, a, I'm very interested in this one therapeutic modality called space, supportive parenting for anxious childhood emotions, Mm -hmm. which is a lot of this. It's, um, you know, you're talking about in terms of the codependency piece, right? But also when when we help modify uh, the environment or help our child avoid a feeling of anxiety specifically, mm-hmm. um, we'll call that an accommodation, mm-hmm. it can it can act actually, it sounds kind of counterintuitive, but it can actually maintain the anxiety because yes. like so what you're saying is what we're kind of implicitly communicating to the child when we help them escape the anxiety is you can't handle this anxiety. It's pretty dangerous actually, because it's making me step in and I've got to rescue you from it. And the problem with anxiety is anxiety in and of itself isn't really an issue. It's when we are sort of afraid of the anxiety Mm -hmm. that we Mm -hmm. become like we move into the realm of anxiety disorders. Right. And so I'm so distressed by my anxiety that I do all these kinds of things to avoid feeling it, including kind of soliciting my parents to make it go away. And Mm -hmm. the, the, the accommodations on the parents end of of removing those anxious emotions or those environmental prompts that create anxiety for our kid kind of keeps all of us in this loop. Yes. And, so in space, what we actually do, it's like a treatment only with the parents. The child's mm-hmm. not involved, even though wow. they're the identified patient. Mm-hmm. And it's just mapping out the parental accommodations and very systematically like targeting mm-hmm. one at a time and coming up with a plan and having the parent pull that accommodation mm-hmm. while sort of emotionally supporting the child, mm-hmm. um, but not behaviorally taking away the anxiety for them. So the child actually in an appropriate, safe way has to experience the anxiety because the parent mm-hmm. isn't swooping in to take it out. And so I think there's a little bit of overlap there between codependency and anxiety mm-hmm. and like the way we think about it and treat it. Absolutely. And, and I love that. You know, that's why um, that's why I love working with parents so much because like the more that the parent works on themselves, the better outcome for the child, you know? And of course, like, it's hard for us as parents to look at ourselves. Like, I get it, you know, like, I I don't want to do it either, guys. But, you know, (laughs) it's like, the more that we can um, look at ourselves, change the way that we're responding to things, like, we're giving our children such a gift in that because Mm -hmm. they get so much benefit by the work that we do on ourselves and our ability to navigate struggles with them. Like, you know, to, to speak a little bit more to that point I made about like the caring thing, a lot of parents will say, so, so Alana, are you telling me I just like leave my kid and, and like, I don't help them with anything anymore. And I'm like, no, like not at all. I'm not saying that, right. I'm not saying just like write them off and, you know, let them figure it out. But I like to think of it more like, I believe our children actually know when they need help and support from us. And Mm -hmm. if we can be kind of like a safe container, they will come to us when they need support, right? If we show them what it looks like to give support in a way that's not overbearing, (laughs) not trying to fix it, right? Not filled with all of our emotions, our children will naturally say like, I need your help with this, or mm-hmm. I'd really like your advice on this. You know, they might not say it that eloquently, but they'll, they're going to show us like when it's time for us to step in. Right? right. Or if you see like a, a continuous struggle of some sort, you can say to your child, like, 
would you like my help with that? Right. Mm -hmm. I think the problem just is that we don't ask, we just like jump right in. Like you must need my help with this because you're struggling, you know? And it's Mm -hmm. like, that's not necessarily true. Right. Like struggle is okay. It's okay to struggle. You know? And I think if you have a child, I'm thinking about the kid that's maybe been raised for a while with this sort of comfort level on the parents right. with struggle and being yes. able to say, oof, that's tough. I'm here, but mm-hmm. you got this. Yes. Versus perhaps a kid whose parents have historically been either mm-hmm. anxious about struggle or, you know, flooded mm-hmm. by their own, you know, nervous feelings or or mm-hmm. beliefs around struggle. Um and frequently have rescued and, you know, jumped in to fix or removed the feelings for the kid. Right. Now you're probably going to have a kid who is going to come to the parents a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Who says, I need your help with this. I need your help with this. I need your help Mm -hmm. with this. As parents, like how, who are maybe like new to this idea, Mm -hmm. how do you titrate off of that? So that's a great question because you're right. When we've been engaging in codependency with our kid for a long time, they're going to be very shocked if we just suddenly remove everything, right? So Mm -hmm. we don't want to do that regardless of what age they're at, whether they're five or 25, we don't want to suddenly start being very different with them. Mm -hmm. We want to speak to them, right? And to me, like codependency recovery is so much about communication, Okay. So Mm -hmm. you have to, so what I would probably suggest in that scenario is that you say to your, you start with the conversation around it. You know, I realized that I tend to come in and try to fix things for you all the time. And I realized you probably actually don't need me to do that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start changing the way that I respond when you're going through X. Okay. And so, because I trust that you actually know how to do this better then I've, I've, I've let you do it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to start changing and, mm-hmm. and, and then you start speaking to how you're going to do it differently. Okay. And so the kid starts knowing, okay, that's, what's going to happen. Like mom and dad or whoever the person is, they're going to start being different with me. And then you start showing that to them. You know, like for example, when you ask me for help, I'm actually going to try, um, I'm going to let you take some time with it before I step in to give you an answer. Okay. So like, so they have that information instead of like, you don't just go silent or you're like, no, you got it. And you just run away. Or it's like, it's mm-hmm. like, you have to speak to what's happening with this. And so the child knows, oh, okay. Like we're changing the dynamic, something different's happening here. Right. So we're creating like safety and trust around it. And then we can start to be different. And then when, the, if they start getting anxious or frustrated or whatever it may be, cause we're changing the dynamic They're they're welcome to have reaction to that. Right. Mm-hmm. We're just reminding them, I know, and I, and for so long I've been doing this for you. That's on me, right? Like that's, that's actually my, my bad (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I'm changing that. So I just want to remind you, I believe that you have this and I'm going to let you take more time with it, or I'm going to let you, um, you know, not know the answer and write down whatever you think. And then we'll walk, we'll walk through it together at the end, um, So you're, you're starting to create space and slowly you create more and more space. And I believe you can do those same things with all different things, like financially dependent 
children on their parents or, you know, all different situations. It's like Mm -hmm. you're slowly starting to step back so that they can step forward, right? They can only step in when we step back. Yeah. I love that. And I think that communication piece is so, so critical. Like we can't expect our children to adapt to something if we don't help them prepare for what is going to be different and name it and Mm -hmm. hold space for their feelings around it, but then still continue to show up in the new way that we said we would, because that's also going to help them trust that we are, you know, if we say we're going to do something and we do it, that's comforting to a kid, even if the feeling in the moment is frustration um, because they don't like this new behavior of yours or they don't like the feeling that they have to sit in as a result of this new behavior. But don't mistake that for oh, this isn't working and I shouldn't do this. Right. No, no, no. In fact, like, and I tell all the codependents that want to make changes, every single dynamic is going to give you pushback on it because nobody likes change. Like nobody Mm -hmm. likes change, even when it's positive change, (laughs) you know, because it's uncomfortable for us as humans. And that's okay. That doesn't mean that you should, that you're doing it wrong. That doesn't mean that you should change what you're doing. In fact, it's like, no, stick with it. You got to get through the difficult point to get to the other side, right? So, you know, I I do agree. There's a really important piece that if you're not, if you don't think you're going to be able to really like withstand the storm, Mm -hmm. you might want to wait to put, to start making changes. Because to me, you know, like you, you mentioned the word trust, trust is super important in the relationship, right? And, and you will damage the trust if you say something and then don't follow through on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, or start smaller, you know, right. start with something really, really doable, right? Mm-hmm. Like we make a bit of a hierarchy here and Absolutely. don't go to the top or even the middle, you go to the mm-hmm. easiest thing to switch and you just switch one thing at a right. time, right. which Absolutely. I think is really important. Now, so we're talking a lot about how to understand codependency from that angle of like I have from a parent-child relationship where the parent has sort of rescued the child a lot. Right. And now we're and how to modify that. Mm-hmm. But what about the other direction, you know, where parents for lots of reasons may be engaging in codependency with the child kind of from the other end of like mm-hmm. having the child take on a more of a parentified role or, mm-hmm. or having the child manage their feelings or, you know, those are more extreme versions, but even on like a very small micro version, just saying things that may communicate to the child that, Ooh, you know, my feelings are a little bit your responsibility. Um, like, can you speak a little to that, that kind of other, that sort of other side of the coin? Yeah, I think this is a harder one for parents to identify for themselves because they might not pick up on how this is happening. But generally speaking, um, it's probably taking place in your language um, or lack thereof. Meaning Mm -hmm. if you're having big feelings and you're not speaking to them, it's very common that your child will just assume it's about them. Okay, Mm -hmm. so like it's a very normal thing that a child would think like, I did something wrong and that's why my mom's upset. And so like, I need to change that. I need to be different so that she feels differently. Right. Um, you know, this can obviously particularly happen if we have a child, uh, and a parent that struggles with, you know, 
mental health issues, substance abuse, abuse issues, excuse me. Um, and the child then feels in some way like they're responsible or like they need to do something to change it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think as a parent, even in, you know, if you're not at the level where there's that type of, you know, issue going on in, in the dynamic, even in the everyday, you want to be speaking to your kids in a way where you're letting them know that what's going on for you is about you and not them. Mm-hmm. Right. So not like you're making me feel this way, but but I feel this way because I'm struggling with this or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Age appropriately. So we don't need to you know, we shouldn't be dumping our feelings onto our kids. Um a parent-child relationship is one of the only dynamics to me that is so different than many of the other dynamics I speak about. And there has to be restraint on the parent's part. Like I, I shouldn't come in and like dump my bad day on my kid because, you know, even if um, they don't necessarily take it on, like it's theirs, they'll, they'll in some way feel like they've got all this stuff now that they mm-hmm. have to do something with in some way. Like, for example, you know, I've seen parents who, communicate way too openly about like their financial situation to their kids. And then the kids then feel like, Oh my God, I need to, I need to do something about this or I need to change this or, you know, they just, there's too much on their plate. Mm -hmm. Right. Or a parent who's talking to their child about perhaps their spouse or their ex spouse, whatever it may be. Um, not okay. You know, it's like, it's too much burden for your child. That's not the right. Um, it's not the right information to be sharing with them. You know, Mm -hmm. those are things that are for friends, uh, therapists, you know, other people that are in the same, um, you know, at your same peer level is what I'm saying there. Um, but certainly not your children. Right. And I think, I think where people often will get confused, um, they'll hear this messaging, like, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to have your children feel as though they're responsible for your behaviors, but then you're also like, what if I cry in front of my kid? Mm-hmm. You know, am I allowed to say I'm mad? Am mm-hmm. I allowed to say you're making me mad? Am I allowed mm-hmm. to say you're mm-hmm. making me sad? And I think mm-hmm. it's very confusing, but I, I think it's important, like you were saying, like, it's important to name your feeling. Mm -hmm. The distinction I like to give parents is you can name your feeling, but then that's kind of where you stop. Mm -hmm. You don't then tell the child that they're causing that feeling, Mm -hmm. even if a behavior of theirs might be Mm -hmm. causing the feeling, right? right? That's different. Right. So when you don't pick up your toys and I ask you five times in a row, Mm -hmm. I feel like you're ignoring me and that makes me frustrated. Right. That is not the same thing as saying, Mm -hmm. you never pick up your toys. Are you trying to make me mad? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's subtle. It's really, it's tricky because usually when we're saying this, we're a little bit hot. So we're not really thinking about every single delicate word choice, which we can also talk about repair because sometimes we're going to say the wrong thing and that's okay. Absolutely. But this is a subtle nuance, but Mm -hmm. it carries kind of a really different message when you think about it. Well, absolutely. And I think in general, codependents generally say things like you are making me feel this way, even to other adults, right? Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) you know, it's not just to our children. It's like this idea that people do actually have control over how we're feeling. And that's actually not true Mm. in a, 
at all. Nobody actually creates feelings within us. We have feelings in reaction to other people's behavior and reaction to the way somebody treats us and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but they're not actually cre creating or causing the feelings in a sense. Um, so we have to be mindful about that because just that thought alone to me is codependent and needs to be corrected. Um, we can easily, like you said, it's very nuanced. There's like a, you know, and that's why I tend to harp on language because I do think that the way that we speak about it shows the way we're thinking about it. And, um, you know, so if we, even if we get mad at, you know, our friend and we say like, you did this to me, it's totally incorrect, right? It's mm -hmm. like, you didn't, do this to me. I'm feeling this way as a result of what happened. And mm -hmm. so we always want to be doing that in all of our relationships, you know, especially with our children, but really you should be practicing that with the adults in your life as well. Yeah. And so I'm just kind of recapping another thing you said too, which was when you name the feeling, because, because we're, it's, it could sound like we're saying contradictory things. Like on the right. one hand, you're saying like, don't be silent, name the feeling, mm -hmm. because if you don't, they'll fill in the blanks, right. which I agree with. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, we're also saying, don't say they're causing it because mm -hmm. they can't cause it, right. which I see as two very different things. But I, mm -hmm. in case people are, con are getting confused by that, I think what we're saying is you want to fill in the blanks for your children mm -hmm. because they if they don't, if we don't, they will with something right. usually pretty egocentric. So if I'm just crying and I'm not talking about it, or if I'm like really irritated and I'm not naming that for my kid, that's a blank that they will fill in. Right. So to name that, to say, I am feeling sad. You notice me crying. Yeah, yeah, that's happening. I'm feeling sad. And then to not then go into the place of, causality, right? You, right. you said that thing and it hurt my feelings and now I'm like really mm -hmm. sad. Mm -hmm. I think maybe in an adult situation that would be more appropriate, but like right. to sort of say, I'm feeling sad. These are my feelings. I can handle them. Right. You know? yes. So there's this separateness mm -hmm. that we're communicating to. I am me. Yes. You are you. These are my feelings. Mm -hmm. I'm in charge of them. Mm -hmm. I can also help you understand what you're seeing and that they're not in fact your responsibility. Mm -hmm. It's, it's tricky. It's, it's so tricky, <laughs> but I think what you just said, Sarah is really important. That piece of like, and I can handle it. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I think anytime we give our children like this idea that we can't handle it is can create a lot of anxiety for our children. And then a need, their potential feeling of like needing to step in, for us. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's not their responsibility. So even if we don't feel like we have it in the moment, <laughs> you know, we want to reassure, reassure our children that, that we'll figure it out. You mm -hmm. know, we're going to work through it. Yeah. Cause and it's ours. Yeah. Cause I mean, and in very extreme situations, we can get this sort of parentification of the child. Can you talk a little bit of what a, a parentified child is? Sure. So a parentified child tends to be a child that takes on um, adult like responsibilities in some way. And usually um, their emotional responsibilities. Sometimes they're more than that in different situations. Um, but oftentimes, you know, a codependent can come from a dynamic where one of the 
partners um, or one of the parents is emotionally unavailable in some way. And so that child kind of stands in for the lack that that parent has. And then the other, the, the other parent tends to rely on that child um, for getting their emotional needs met. Mm -hmm. And that is, I mean, I can so understand how that could occur. Like I have so much empathy for how a situation like that can start to happen. But as a parent, like what can we do if we start to notice this pattern? Whether I'm thinking in terms of the parent who is, you know, relying on the emotional support of their child and is like, ooh, I'm doing this Mm -hmm. again. Like we don't do it on purpose. But once you start to notice that it's happening, what can you do? Sure. And yeah, and that's a great point. So like everything that, that I think we're saying, there's, there's nothing in judgment. That's just, we're just speaking about it and there's no reason to like beat yourself up. You can change a dynamic at at any time, even, you know, I've worked with parents with adult children who they completely changed their dynamic and it's Mm -hmm. wonderful, you know? So Mm -hmm. just know that, that, you know, it's not, nothing is, um, damaged to a point that can never be repaired if both people are willing to work on it. Right. So if you recognize this and you say, um, wow, I think I'm doing that, right. Like my husband's really not available. And I do tend to, you know, tell my son a lot about what's going on and really look to him for support. My first thing would be great awareness around it is key, right. Awareness of how it's happening when you're doing it, Um, and then the next step is to figure out, I think, um, you know, obviously you're going to have to pull back from that, but you're also the the obvious piece to me is that you need more support in your life. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, you know, if, if your husband's willing to work on it, great. Um, if not, you may need a therapist, you may need a support group. You may just need to talk to your friends more often. You know, any of those options are, perfectly fine and okay if they are going to get your needs met, you know, it might be all of those options. Um, but it's, it's like, you have to take that big step back from what you're doing with your child and start really changing the conversation with them. Right. Um, and taking out all of that extra information that doesn't need to be there. Mm -hmm. I feel like this can also get amplified a lot in situations where, like the nuclear family is not intact anymore and you have one parent over here doing one thing and one parent over here doing another thing and you don't have as much say like as a team as to like how one parent is or isn't doing things. Um, Can you speak a little bit to like how this plays out in co-parenting and divorce and separations? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of my work has been with divorced parents and I truly give divorced parents a lot of credit because it is a very difficult thing to navigate. Um, even when it's a situation where it's not terribly bad, you know, it can be very tricky. Um, most importantly, I think is the fact is knowing the fact that we can't control the other person. You know, the hope is that you guys can get on the same page in some general way around parenting, but a lot of times that doesn't happen. And and I've worked with those situations where it's just not going to happen. And so then the the question becomes, how do I navigate that? Right? Like Mm -hmm. if I can't 
um, get on the same page as my ex and, you know, we're not parenting the same way. What do I do about that? Um, and sometimes there can be very severe cases where, you know, we need a lot, you know, different interventions of sorts, whether it's that we're doing, you know, family counseling or, you know, sometimes the courts have to get involved. That happens. Okay. Um, but generally speaking, we never want to make our child feel like they're in the middle of it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's a really important piece where we're not bringing them or baggage around it. Um, or say, I can't believe dad did that or whatever it is. Right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but knowing that the, what, whatever it is that we provide them, um, is going to be super impactful, even if, the, the relationship or the dynamic with the other parent is very different or they have a very different parenting style, maybe confusing and that can create challenges, you know, for the child, but you have to focus on the safe space that you're providing and knowing that that can be a really important preventative, um, factor for children growing up. So, uh, don't worry so much about what's going on sometimes in other dynamics, unless it's, you know, at, as I said, at a point where people have to step in in different ways, if it's different and you don't agree with it, it's tough, but you don't have control over it. You know, mm-hmm. you can't change it. I do think you can speak to the fact that things are different. Like again, the communication piece, you don't want to say, Oh, I don't like the way your mother does that. Right. But you might want to say something like, me and your mom are very different, you know, and we have different ways that we go about that, about things because we see things differently or we believe, you know, we have different beliefs. And I think that's okay if it's general, neutral, and not judgmental towards the other person, right? You're acknowledging that people are allowed to do things differently and they don't always, they don't always agree on it and that's okay. But, you know, we have different perspectives, right? And that's why we do things differently. I really like that because I think, the neutrality of that statement allows parents the permission to have their feelings and their opinions and clarify them for their children and name when there's a discrepancy. Because I think sometimes people get confused again, like with all these rules, I'm saying right. in quotes, <laughs> like with all these quote rules, it can sometimes parents get, they get, they feel like, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. Cause I'm right, like, right. it's too confusing. So yeah. this idea that like, yes, you are allowed to name the thing. In fact, it's optimal to name the discrepancy. Yeah, I right. noticed that when mm-hmm. when when we're together, this is how we do it. And when you're with dad or mom, the expectation's different. They do it in a different way. Right. I do it this way because X, Y, Z. Or mm-hmm. it's, you know, we're really different. We have a different view on how this works. Mm-hmm. Um, that's so different than saying... I guess the difference is in what you're asking your child to feel, right? Right. Like you saying how you feel about something is different than saying you should see this as bad child, right? Whether explicitly or implicitly, right? If there's an implicit judgment on or negative valence on the other parent's behavior, um, the implicit communication to the child is you should think this is bad. Whereas if you can present it in a way that doesn't ask the child anything about their own feelings to say, mm-hmm. but just kind of hold your own side. Again, this is that the, the nuance of the language. It's, it's really so, yes. tricky, but it's yes. that how do I communicate a separateness? Right. I am me, dad is dad. 
I am me, you are you. Right. And I, yeah, I mean, to me, this is like a crucial piece when you're dealing with this type of situation. It's the language and the tone with which we speak it, because so Mm -hmm. often it's like we can't, you know, we have so many feelings about things. We just want to like always put our feelings into it. Like, and I don't like that he gives you ice cream before dinner or whatever it is, you know, and it's like, Mm -hmm. and if we can keep it neutral, but acknowledge it, right, I believe that's exactly what our children are looking for because it creates a safe space where then they know that they can bring us something that maybe they're struggling with without Mm -hmm. us having judgment towards the other parent and then them feeling like they're in the middle and they have to hold space, right? So instead, this creates a space where we're basically saying to the child, even though we're not saying this is what we're communicating in it, I can hold space for us being different. It's not on you to hold space for that. I can hold space for that. And that means that you can come to me if you need to process something and I can be a neutral person to you around it. As Do you see what I'm saying there? Yes. It's like, you know, because so often, like in these situations, what I see is that like the parents will say to me, oh, you know, I could tell my, my son is struggling and he won't say anything to me. And I said, and I'll say to them, I, I don't think he's saying something to you because he knows that you are going to talk about how you feel about it and what you think about it. And that's not actually safe for him. What he wants is to be able to go to you, basically be like, I don't like the way this is happening. And for you to just be like, yeah, I can understand that, but not to get into it, not to go. Yeah, because you, you know, your mom always does this and that's why. The, and, and then it becomes about me instead of about the kid. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what we want to avoid. So mm-hmm. I agree with you, Sarah. Like I, un, I can totally understand if people are listening, they're going through the situation. They're like, I'm not quite understanding how to say it. That's what, you know, people like me and you are here for to really help guide people (laughs) through this, because I do think it is very nuanced and it's not something we're taught um, naturally how to communicate in that way. Yes. And I think that actually is a really good point too, which is, and I don't know if people, I mean, obviously some people know this because they come to us for this, Mm -hmm. but you know, a lot of therapy for co-parents is Mm -hmm. not about you know, I think people think of couples therapy or relationship therapy about like repairing the relationship and staying together or getting back together. And actually a lot of times we work with people where there's no intention of getting back together. There's no intention of repairing that part of the relationship. It's simply how do we co-parent? How do we stay separated in a way that works for the family, for the, like from, from a parenting support perspective for aligning on our values, for not always having to have arguments and, and, you know, if, if we're noticing that children in the family are starting to hold parental emotions, you know, that would be a good time to say, Hmm, we might need some help around this because a lot of times it's hard to see it when you're in it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's why I say it's not an easy thing to figure out. But, you know, if you to me, like therapy is therapy is the best. It was the best for me. I I love, you know, I love being a therapist and helping other people. There's no shame in getting support around this stuff. You don't have to be like, you know, on the floor to say, like, I need support or it would be helpful for me to figure out how to navigate some of this stuff. You know, that's that's what we're here for. Yeah. Yeah. And like what so what might a therapeutic 
intervention or like, do you, is it like a one-off consultation? Do you do long-term treatment? Like what do you work with the kids and the parents together? How do you approach it? Well, um, you know, it, I often work with the parents. Um, you know, I'm always happy. I've done a lot of work with parents and and adults trying to repair their relationships, mm-hmm. whether it's a teen or a young adult. I love that work. Um, and generally speaking, like I'm going to navigate whatever is kind of coming in the space in terms of it's usually there's communication issues. I'm going to help with getting the communication to be different, um, to be respectful, to be not so heated and emotional and to learn actually how to hear one another and respectfully Mm -hmm. communicate back to that. Like to me, that's some of the foundational work I'm doing in whatever the dynamic may be that's coming in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's pretty much the most important part, right? Like, cause like we were saying, these like these subtleties in language, these subtleties in communication, verbal and nonverbal, that's where the work really is. Yeah. And that's, I think, again, it's, I don't want people to think like, oh God, I have to become like an absolute like linguistic master. At this. <laughs> like you don't. No. And, and this speaks to this other piece of if you don't say the right thing, Mm-hmm. you can repair. Like Absolutely. it doesn't have to be like we have to walk on eggshells and, you know, practice writing out what we want to say before we have to say it. And if we say the wrong thing, we've totally screwed up. Like yeah. what would repair look like? Um, I think repair is actually one of the biggest trust builders in a relationship because the reality is like you're saying, Sarah, like we're, the point is not perfection and that's not what anyone really wants or needs of of another person. Mm -hmm. The point is to acknowledge when we've made a misstep, even if it's a minor misstep or if it's a major misstep, it's just acknowledging it and coming back to it at some point. Right. And generally speaking, we try to repair when our emotions aren't so heightened. Like, you know, we, it's not really helpful to try to repair in a moment where we're all in our feelings or one of the people's in the feelings. It's Mm -hmm. like, the point of repair is to come back to it at another time and say, um, Hey, you know, I said this thing. Um, that's not what I meant. And and I shouldn't have said it that way, you know, and just taking responsibility for it. Like, you know, I made it seem like it's your fault that this is happening and it's not your fault. You Mm -hmm. know, this is about me. And so we can start to change that. And to me, that's some of like the, most beautiful moments in a relationship with somebody else Mm -hmm. where we can acknowledge something and then come together and, and have that, um, you know, the trust starting to come back in after, after some sort of moment where the trust has been broken. Right. Um, to me, that's what creates intimacy in a relationship as well, right? Like Mm -hmm. these are the intimate moments where we can be honest, be real, um, and people will feel safe with us as a result of that because they know that we're going to take responsibility for ourselves. Yeah, I love that. And that's so hopeful. It's a very hopeful note to end on because I think it's <laughs> like, you know, we've just given you all this stuff to do. But also, if you can't do it in the moment, like, here's what you do then. And that's okay. And you got this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If people want to, you know, know, learn more about the work you do or your book, where can mm-hmm. they find you? So you can find me on my website is thecodependentperfectionist.com. And that's also my Instagram name. So you can find me both ways. And that's where 
I have all my stuff, my book, my cards, my workbook, and I have some webinars on these topics as well. So um, feel free to find me there. That's amazing. Oh, Alana, thank you so much for coming on. It was, it was so great talking to you. It's a great, a great conversation. Thank you, Sarah. I hope this episode has been helpful. These subtle nuances and shifts can be difficult to see, especially if you're deep inside these well-worn patterns. If you feel like you could benefit from one-on-one therapeutic support, you can always reach out to my group practice, Upshur Brun Psychology Group, where we specialize in supporting parents and families throughout all stages of the developmental timeline. To schedule a free assessment call, get a personalized recommendation of what treatment approach would be right for you, go to upshurbren.com. That's U-P-S-H-U-R-B-R-E-N.com. No matter what you are going through, you don't need to go through it alone. So thanks for listening. And until next week, don't be a stranger.